It's great to open God's words to you today. Love, build, serve and celebrate are our core values. And today we're looking at the subject specifically of loving one another. Did you know that the words on the screen that should appear now, the next slide, these words from 1 Corinthians 13, this is the most popular reading at wedding ceremonies in Anglican churches. I think this is an amazing fact. Why? Because this passage was not written for wedding ceremonies, nor was it written with romance in mind. It wasn't even written by a married man. Paul, who wrote these marvellous words, was single. They are recognised by many as literary genius. Paul wrote these words about love to a church struggling with all sorts of relationship issues. So we need to think about these words today, not with the tears and emotions of a wedding, which I enjoy, I love a good cry at a wedding. We shouldn't think of them in that way, but we should be thinking of them, how does this relate to, to me? How we relate to one another, how we relate to the person next to you, the person in the row behind you, the person across the room. So let's read this chapter from 1 Corinthians 13. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to that, I'm going to read from the NIV, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'll just start at the end of uh, chapter 12, because of course there weren't any chapters when this was written. You don't write chapters, do you, in your letter? Anyway. 1 Corinthians 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what we sound like when we don't have love. Thank you, Mark. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. As when Jesus comes, we won't need spiritual gifts. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things away. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
loving one another. The city of Corinth had a reputation for immorality. One of the gods in the city was called Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of sexual love with a temple dedicated to her. The clanging symbol was probably a reference to one of those temples because they used to clang symbols in them. The city boasted having a, uh, a thousand female prostitutes. To call a young woman in Co a Corinthian was the same as calling her immoral. The Corinthians were known for love, but the wrong kind of love, promiscuous love. In the Corinthian church were converts from this background who had been delivered and released. But the church also had a number of relationship issues, court cases between members, issues about food, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, and false teaching about the resurrection. So Paul, knowing this background, writes this strong pastoral letter in this chapter about how Christians should love one another, loving each other is so important. Love covers a multitude of sins. This chapter, I think, is placed in an interesting position right in the middle of his teaching on spiritual gifts. You would expect a chapter like this to be maybe at the end of a letter as a good conclusion, but no, it's part of this because it's specifically relevant to charismatic Christians, those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Manifestations of spiritual gifts mean nothing unless they're motivated by love. You may move in spiritual gifts, you may speak in tongues, you may heal the sick, you may doubly anointed, you may swing from the chandeliers, you may move mountains or have extraordinary faith, but we're nothing without love. So in verses four to eight here, we have two lists, lists of what love is and what love is not. I see them as things that destroy love and things that build love. Love destroyers, you see, make us unusable by God. They render us ineffective as a church. No love, no ministry. If we do not have love, we are nothing. So let's look at some love destroyers. Being envious and jealous, that destroys love. This can range from a low-level jealousy up to extreme cases, don't you? You hear sometimes of people murdering out of jealousy. It's all about wanting what we do not have, a discontentment with what we've been given in life, be that a possession, a career, physical appearance, talents, gifts. I remember a distressing situation of a young married woman unable to conceive. And jealousy ate away at her heart. And this affected every single relationship she had. It affected her relationship with God, with her husband, with her peers. Infertility is a hard thing to bear, but envy is not the way of love. Jealousy eats away at us like gangrene. I don't know if any of you have smelt gangrene. I'm sure Anna has. Gangrene smells dreadful. Jealousy is like that. It looks and it smells awful in our lives. Boasting is another destroyer. Bragging and bigging yourself up. Blowing your own trumpet. Again, it can be over our possessions, our career, our abilities, your marriage, your children, your car. We're called to live humbly before God and others. Arrogance and pride, being puffed up, feeling and acting superior. 
thinking we're always right. Having the wrong type of pride, you know, is destructive. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. They're strong words, aren't they? The Lord detests us when we've got pride in our heart. Pride then leads to offence. In the story of Naaman, who had leprosy, we see that he was a proud man. He was offended, wasn't he, to go and dip himself, to wash himself in the muddy river Jordan. He said, there's better rivers where I can go in my country that I can wash in. He had the sin of pride. He had the sin of offence in his heart. Are you too proud to do things you're asked of? Naaman changed his mind. Another type of pride is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Are we willing to get alongside those who are less than us, who have less than us? When we seek to give to others, do we choose people who can return the favor, who can return the love? Or give to those who are in genuine need? Proverbs 22.16. Proverbs has got a lot to say about love, you know. It's a great book to have a look at. Proverbs 22.16 says, He who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. The next one of our love destroyers is rudeness. This is definitely a love destroyer. Being deliberately rude, impolite, even vulgar, or discourteous or harsh with others. Sometimes, of course, we can be rude unintentionally. When people are rude to me, you know, it's really hard not to respond, isn't it? I find that. If people give me something, I, I find that hard to respond. But you know, behind every behavior, there's a reason. And I try and think, what is going on in that person's life that's making them act like that? There's always a reason for every behavior. But what is the ultimate in rudeness? I think it's not speaking to another person, snubbing them. As a church, you know, we're now of a size when we can avoid people if we want to. I say it with pain in my heart because I've had family members in the past who would not speak to one another, and they were Christians. Where members of families no longer talk to each other, there's a problem, isn't it? There should never be a situation where Christians do not talk to each other we must sort things out. We cannot be friends with everybody. Some people we will naturally get on better with, and that's quite normal. However, when it comes to not speaking, not snub, you know, snubbing each other, that is the height of rudeness, and it destroys love amongst us. Let's deal with any underlying issues. Forgive, forgive, as Jesus has forgiven you. Selfishness, being self-seeking, insisting on your own way, demanding your rights, being self-absorbed. Proverbs 18 says, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. Selfishness is a love destroyer. Irritability, you know, being easily angered and flying off the handle, being cantankerous, being crabby. As followers of Jesus, we're to grow in his likeness, aren't we? not being bitter, grumpy old men, or women for that matter. 
equal now, aren't we? Resentment. A resenting heart keeps a record of wrongs that have happened to us. You know, keeping a record of a wrong that someone's done against you will make you take revenge. You know, I'll get them back for that at some point. Rejoicing in the wrong, delighting in evil, gloating over another's weaknesses, happy when someone, something goes wrong for the person. You see that in children, don't you? Happy when their brother or sister gets into trouble. I can remember that when my sister, loving it when my sister got in trouble. Rejoicing in the wrong, it's a love destroyer. These simple words, you know, uncover and lay bare our hearts, don't they? Allow these words to penetrate your heart and expose these things. Maturity is putting away childish things, putting away all that destroys love. So jealousy, envy, boasting, pride, this list of things here that Paul talks about. Often as adults, we're very good at hiding them, aren't we? We're not always very transparent, but they, these things destroy love. Will you be honest? Hold the mirror up to your heart, not to your face. Hold the mirror to your heart. See what's in your heart. Let me read what Jesus said from Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? It's a great image, isn't it? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck of dust in your brother's eye. What is your plank? These simple words expose our hearts, don't they? that God would bring us to maturity, that we would, we would deal with these things, allow him and his love to propel you to deal with these things in your heart. Billy Graham said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. And I would add to that, when love is lost, all is lost. Alfred Nobel, who lived in the 19th century, is best known for the Nobel Peace Prizes. He was a chemist, an engineer, a manuf he manufactured weapons, and he actually invented dynamite. In 1888, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. A French newspaper, this is hilarious, uh, a French newspaper, not because it was French, but a French newspaper inadvertently published Alfred's obituary instead of his brother's. In the obituary, it condemned him for inventing dynamite, and it said, the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Noble, who became rich by finding more ways to kill people faster than ever before, died yesterday. As you can imagine, Alfred Nobel was devastated by the foretaste of how he would be remembered. In his will, he set aside the bulk of his estate to set up the Nobel Peace Prizes, and that today's money, that's $250 million. Alfred Nobel had a rare opportunity to evaluate his life from seeing his obituary and live long enough 
to change that assessment. What will you be remembered for? Love, you see, is an everlasting quality. So let's look at what builds love. We looked at what uh, destroys love. Let's look at what builds love. Love is patient. Patience is becoming a rare quality in our society, isn't it? Our culture is fast-paced. Everything must be efficient. We demand shorter queues, shorter journey times, instant foods, quick-fixed solutions, faster internet, shorter sermons. We want the lot, don't we? Being patient with each other builds up love. Love is kind. Proverbs again, 21.21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honour. Being kind to each other is hugely powerful in building love. Kindness is also one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love rejoices with the truth. Love enables to see truth and beauty in one another's lives. Love honours. Love respects. Love encourages that beauty in one another to blossom. Love longs to see other people stand, to grow and to mature. Love wants others to be successful and to have more than we have, to go further than we have. Love is not competitive, only in outdoing each other in love. Love always protects. Love covers the faults of others. Love doesn't expose them. Love covers up their back. However, love always speaks and challenges when we take a wrong road. We are to speak the truth, aren't we, in love, because love always wants to protect. Love always trusts. Love sees and believes the best of others. So often we think the worst, don't we? Oh, there's no smoke without fire. We think the worst of people before the best. Do you know, Jesus believes in us. Jesus trusts us. Therefore, we can believe and trust each other. Sadly, trust can be lost in all sorts of relationships. Obviously, worst within marriage. Trust can be broken and damaged. And when this happens, we often need help. But if we, tr if, we trust, if we have trust issues, then Jesus can heal us. His grace is there for us. Love does not harbor injury. Love finds a way through. Love always hopes. Love is optimistic and not pessimistic. pessimistic. Love expects ultimate triumph in the grace of God. Love refuses to take failure as final. It always hopes for better and for more. God is the God of the second chance. Romans 5, 5 tells us, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Hope will not be thwarted. We will triumph. There is, our, there is hope in Christ. Love perseveres and endures. How do we recognize love? 
Love can be known only from the actions it prompts. Actions often speak louder than words. God's action in sending Jesus shows how much he loves us. The same love that we are loved with by him, we will love others with. And our enduring and persevering actions are a practical demonstration of that love. Enduring love has that sense of a soldier on a battlefield, just keep going on and keep going on and keep going on until the battle is won. Love never ends and never fails. The literal meaning of love never ends is that it won't fall or collapse. You've probably seen the images on the television of the, the devastation of Hurricane Irma, buildings collapsed. Love will never collapse. Love is permanent. Jesus' love never collapsed or failed. Even through the cruelest torture, the Roman crucifixion, the worst type of death sentence, a death designed to be prolonged, extremely painful, humiliating. And it was inflicted upon Jesus, who was innocent. Love never collapses. Jesus' love never failed. Jesus' love never collapsed. He died that we might be able to know love and give love. Jesus' love is lavished upon us without a thought of whether we are worthy of it. And we were not worthy. That is the quality of love that we aim for in the family of God. Loving each other when we're not worthy of being loved. Because love never fails. Love is the greatest. This is Paul's punchline. The love that he's talking about is called agape, agape love. Agape love is the love between Father God with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. God is full of love. God is love. This agape love describes the self-giving love God revealed in Jesus to us. It's this agape love which we've responded to in finding Jesus. It's this agape love that fills us. And it's this agape love that we love one another with, that love between brothers and sisters. Many religions and many good people would look at this list and agree that these things would build love. Some good psychology here. So what's different for us? Love is firstly and always a decision. We decide to love. We decide to love one another. Say to your neighbor, I decide to love you. Paul in Ephesians challenges us to put off our old self and to put on our new self. So there's a putting off and a putting on. Love is a decision we make. However, we know from that list that by Wednesday, if not before, we would have failed at some point. We will not have walked in the way of love. So what is the answer to growing in love and really loving each other as we want to? The answer lies in what we have already received. 
we have received the love of the Father in our hearts. When we first turned to Christ, we received the Holy Spirit, that deposit, that guarantee of our inheritance. We have received the righteousness of Christ. It has been imputed to us. We talk about this so often, don't we, what Christ has given us. We have received the love of God. We have received the agape love of God in our hearts. Therefore, it's not dependent on me pretending to love a person or working harder and harder to love each other. It's not by our work and our efforts. It's by the love and power of God within us. You know, I dislike sermons that tell me what I must do and wasn't do. I must try harder to do this. You know, there's something in me that slightly rebels about that. But, you know, growing in love for each other is all about allowing Father God to fill us with his love more and more. You have the capacity to receive more of God's love. You're not full yet. You can receive more. There's no toxic levels to love. We can always receive more. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Now that was obviously in his ministry. He was seeing his ministry as being completed. But there's a spiritual principle there, isn't there? That Jesus must increase in us and we must decrease. That is our answer to love. When we're full of Jesus, when we're full of love, there's less room for anything else. Loving others becomes much, much easier. Jesus said these words in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love has a supreme position in the ministry of the church. That's why it's one of our core values. It's the glue that holds us together. It's the power that releases us to greater levels of ministry. It's greatly under attack all the time. It's an area we need to defend. We are nothing without the love of Father God flowing amongst us. So let's grow more and more in love with Jesus. Yes, and more and more with his church, with those people around us today. Let us love, let the love of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can love others. Let me just read that 1 Corinthians 13 to you again, those few verses. You might just want to shut your eyes and just listen to this. Jesus' love is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. Jesus is not rude. He's not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Love never fails.
The greatest of these is love. Let the heartbeat of heaven beat in our hearts. And let's beat in time with the heartbeat of heaven. Let's stand for prayer and invite the worship team to, to come back.